good morning good afternoon good evening and good night wherever it is you are listening from my name is bev chahonyo and this is beverly speaks welcome to my podcast if you're tuning in or joining me for the very first time welcome 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 karibu bienvenue bienvenido and all that good stuff (laughs) Uh, please do reach out and let me know how you heard about this podcast Uh, did somebody share it did you stumble across it and what do you think if you are returning welcome home fam this is a place where you know that it has come to be a place where all i do is use this platform to create a safe space for other people to tell their stories uh, and impact lives and in so doing impact generations thank you for the support thus far Thank you, thank you, thank you. This series that we are on has really touched lives. Uh, In the first Survivor episode, we talked about surviving cancer with Sydney. In the second one, I had a chat with Beulah and we talked about surviving amputation. And in the third one, we talked about surviving sexual abuse with Karemi. Thank you to those people who have reached out and uh, you know told me about different resources um for these uh for people who may want to have a conversation about their own experiences and also thank you to those of you who reached out and donated to these worthy causes let me just put a caveat and say again Beverly Speaks does not and I do not benefit any in any way shape or form financially any donations given to these people or individuals goes directly to them and i do not have any financial understanding with them i create a safe space and people tell their stories and we impact lives and generations that being said (laughs) today we have a story today we have a story we are going to be talking about surviving genocide with a very good friend of mine He and his wife are people I have come to love and respect in the time that I have known them. But before I introduce him, I want to talk to, to, you know, just put down some statistics. In 1994, over one million Tutsis were slaughtered in what has now come to be known as the Rwanda genocide. According to my guest tonight, the real number may never be known. All this happened within the very short period of 100 days. To put things into perspective, 100 days is 3 months and 10 days. To put further perspective on this matter, globally, to date, approximately 706,000 people have died from COVID-19 since December 2019. That is 8 months, 706,000 people globally as compared to 100 days 1 million people one country but there's a silver lining there's a there's a happy ending not a happy ending per se but this is a story that gives us hope the story of rwanda gives us hope because today rwanda boasts of a gdp of 2248 a life expectancy of 67.8 and a thriving population of 12,374,397 these statistics were obtained from www.statistics.gov.rw This is only 26 years after the genocide, and today Rwanda boasts a thriving business, technology, agricultural, and tourism hub in the East African region, and indeed in Africa. My guest today is a husband, a father, an education consultant who is passionate about education and making quality education attainable and achievable he says that we survive for a purpose and live another day to make a difference in other people's lives his vision is to be part of the creation of the next big engineering 
science researchers, teachers, and world leaders. He's quite impressive. His credentials, he attended Ohio State and Penn State, and then attended the Maastricht School of Management in the Netherlands. Ladies and gentlemen, he is a friend, he's a brother, he's somebody I respect, husband to one, father to four. Please help me welcome Olivier Nizeyimana to Beverly Speaks. Today we will be speaking about surviving genocide and finding purpose through your pain. Welcome, Olivier. Hi, Beverly. How are you? Thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm wonderful. I'm so glad this is finally happening because we've had quite uh, technical challenges trying to record this. Finally, God is on our side and uh, victorious. (laughs) Yes, yes. So currently, you are in Rwanda and we're recording from across borders. So this is the beauty of technology. Yes, I'm in Rwanda. Okay, and you're there for business? And to see family. Okay, and to see family. Awesome. Tell me, Olivier, how many languages do you speak? I speak three languages fluently. Uh, English, French, Rwanda. I also speak Swahili, uh-huh. but not as fluent as I want to be. Okay, <laughs> we'll get there. It's okay. We'll we'll give you the right coaching. But I think if you can speak three languages fluently, then you can pick up. It's it's much easier to pick up another yes, language. Yes, it is. Okay, and um, how many countries have you lived so in? I've lived in four countries. I've lived in uh-huh. in Rwanda, where I was born. I've lived in the U.S. Uh, for most of my life, and I've lived uh-huh. in Kenya and. Uh, lived a bit in the Netherlands uh, when I was doing my master's. Okay. Okay. Yes. So uh, let me ask just for the sake of those of us who may have trouble pronouncing, what is the name of the school you went to in the Netherlands? I just want to make sure I pronounced it correctly. Uh, It's called Maastricht School of Management. Maastricht School of Management. Okay. All right. Awesome. So... And how old are you? I'm 37 right now. You're 37. Alrighty. You are a husband and a father. Yes. Tell us about your beautiful wife and your lovely So I have uh, a very beautiful wife called Pascaline. And I have... uh, Together we have four kids. uh, Ian, Aiden, Alva. They're really... Okay. The rock of my life. They, you know... They bring joy and peace and uh, stability to my life. Awesome. That's wonderful. Especially in this day and age where you hear um, a lot of people saying that there is a fatherless generation, especially in Africa when we need strong, positive male role models. I just want to stop and salute you for that. Thank you so much. (laughs) Um, And what do you do for I'm an educational consultant. An education consultant. What is that? I focus on uh, bringing educational solutions to families. So we work with in the uh, with students independently uh, to help them create a path for uh, achieving their educational goals, their career goals, as well as uh, uh, advising them on how to uh, behave international. Uh, schools as well as behaving in, uh, in, uh, in in foreign countries. You want to prepare them as much as possible because what we do is uh, uh, work with students to try to get them into schools, high schools or universities uh, abroad. And once we secure admission, we also help them get scholarships for families that cannot afford to pay uh, a lot of money because uh, schools that we work with are very expensive. 
and then we uh, also prepare okay. students to get into their next uh, level of education so for example if a student is going into middle school we also uh, help them get into high schools or from high school to universities or from universities to graduate programs okay and so from around how old do you take students what's the youngest student you would take comfortable starting with 13 the youngest i've worked with is 11 uh okay. but i feel like 11 year olds okay. still need uh, parents uh attention and uh, uh safety to they, they still need to be close to their parents okay all right and then you said that you work with students to help them get scholarships if they cannot afford you said that a lot of the schools that you work with are quite expensive so I, my understanding is that you work with a lot of the top schools in the world, uh, Ivy League schools, correct? Yes, we work with Ivy League schools, and uh, but most of the students we work with are not able to get into Ivy League schools. Uh, those are very, very selective schools. Uh, but there are many schools that mm-hmm. are as good as Ivy League schools, and sometimes to my uh, bias, uh, I feel like they're better than Ivy League schools for some students. So what we mm-hmm. do is we customize a path for every student. So we want to make sure a school is a good fit. So the Ivy League schools are good fit for some students. And then there are schools that can be a good match for students. So when you go to the right school, uh, that's a, and you match the personality of the student, the parents' desires, the environment, the school's interest, that's when you merge everything and then the students can uh, flourish and excel and do well. And if they want to go into Ivy League schools for their masters, uh, it becomes much easier as a path rather than uh, uh, working to get into Ivy League schools when they are really not the right schools for for, for your children or for or for you as a student. Yeah. Okay. So, how much do you work with the parents, and how much do you work with the students uh, independently? Uh, because it's a private practice, the parents are responsible to pay uh, our, our, our fees, and then we work with students mm-hmm. mostly to draft essays, to get recommendations, to uh, prepare for each school because a school might be looking for a certain students. There are schools that might be interested in a student who plays a guitar, violin, the oboe, or student schools are looking for students who are good at tennis. So we try to match students with schools, uh, especially if uh, scholarships uh-huh. are necessary. If families don't care about finances and say, okay, we want the best school, uh, we also try to make sure that we match them with the right school. Uh, and again, we look at the family's uh, ability to afford education because a lot of the schools we work with cost between $50,000 per year to $75,000. Mm, okay, okay. Alrighty. So let me ask, you said you were born in Rwanda, but you live in the U.S. most of your life. How old were you when you went to the I US? moved to the U.S. when I was 15. Okay. And did you find it difficult to adjust? Initially, it was difficult to adjust because I left my uh, friends behind, relatives. Uh, my uh, dad was uh, left in Rwanda. So I moved with my mom and my, my siblings to the U.S. Uh, so it, w- it was a big challenge to adjust. Okay. But once we adjusted, you kind of make it your home okay and what facilitated you moving to the u.s we had a lot of family members in the u.s and uh, uh, we wanted to also my parents wanted us to have uh, rights to the best education Uh, they were denied education when they were younger so uh, education has always been a big part of uh, my parents uh, life and also uh, that's 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 all they worked for. They've always told us that we work for you to get the best education. So they secured schools for us in the U.S. Uh, uh, when we were younger uh, to ensure that we can have a better life than they lived. Okay, that's awesome. So we're talking about Rwanda. Um, let's come to Rwanda, nineteen ninety-four. How old were you then? I was eleven. You were 11. Yes. What do you remember about the genocide? 
I remember everything vividly. I uh, could even see images mm-hmm. of what happened um, uh, because of uh, things that preceded the genocide. I was forced to mature quicker okay. uh, by seven years old. I understood many things that seven-year-olds should not understand. Uh, we went through a lot. We uh, I've seen people being persecuted for who they were, what they look like, and also uh, being dehumanized just because they were different uh, from those who were in power. Wow. So that was from the age of seven. So for five years prior to that, you had a sense that something was wrong. Yes. Uh, it, it, it was easy to sense because it was in schools, it was on the radio. Uh, it was a conversation that everyday people had on TV. You could see uh, people's houses being burnt and uh, they used to say it's like theater or they're... Uh, it's really fake but you know once you get used to seeing this and seeing like people that you know being affected by this uh it changes who you are yeah mm-hmm. it can it does affect you okay so now in the you know in the months leading up to so no let me go back a little bit and just ask did you ever think it would get this bad nobody knew it would get this bad but also mm-hmm. uh we were always being told that, you know, it's going to end, uh, we'll see progress coming. Like, the country was taking, like, 10 steps forward and then 20 steps backwards. So, you would think that things are mm-hmm. getting better and then there, something would surprise you. Yeah. Okay. And and how did it affect your family person, like, your immediate family? Uh, before the genocide started, uh, I believe in 1992 to... 1993 we had to actually free our we, our, our house and uh, we left we went to a different province uh, of Rwanda in the southern province so we used to we, I was born in Kigali I lived in Kigali uh, for most of my life except for those few months we lived outside uh, so we it was not safe for us to actually live at our house my, uh, a lot of militias used to come to our house they would stand in front of our gates until uh, my dad would come home. They would collect money from him. Um, uh, soldiers used to come all the time to threaten our lives, and uh, it was something that we kind of got used to. Even though uh, it's not normal for, uh, for families to actually go through this, and I think we also had it easier than some other people who uh, were not fortunate enough to pay off those people who would uh, harass us. So. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. there were people who were killed between 1990 and 1994. Uh, and also, the genocide yeah. did not really start in 94. It's something that started from 59. Mm. So if you've seen the history of Rwanda, uh, the first genocide happened yeah. in 59, then in the 60s, 61, 62, 63, in the 70s, it happened again. Um, uh, it's something that people used to see on small scale, but in 1994, that was like really high-scale genocide that uh, took over more than a million lives uh, and up to today mm. they're still discovering bodies so uh, we don't have an actual wow. account uh, of how many people died uh, what's known is that it's mm. more than a million people yeah. wow wow that that's that's a that's heavy um, I, I first I guess growing up I heard about it a lot of uh, Rwandans came to Kenya and were here as refugees um, but it's not until I was I think an adult and I came across this book by a gentleman named Romeo Dolaire and it's called Shake Hands with the Devil Yes. and uh, I, I also then watched a documentary, it was the 10 year anniversary uh, that was I guess now 2004 and I was watching this and then I went back and started doing my own research because unfortunately this is not taught in African schools um, in the depth it should be taught so you being an educator uh, I'm hoping that you're getting to a point where you are informing policy in some of the places you sit because this is stuff that needs to be taught we need to understand it uh, or hear it so that we do not repeat history I agree with you so right now we are creating a platform that we are going to use to influence uh, education policies and I do also agree with you that this should be taught in um, in Africa in in high schools even uh, 
elementary schools and universities uh, one of the biggest reasons is that this is a history that repeats itself we've seen this repeat itself in Rwanda yeah. many over and over uh-huh. and i'm seeing this happen uh-huh. right now in Ethiopia so Ethiopia is on the verge of uh-huh. collapsing because of ethnic divisions uh, in Kenya and uh-huh. other countries uh, Burundi is even worse right now so Mm, even Zimbabwe as we Zimbabwe speak. yes so uh, people need to know what the ultimate inc- uh, outcome might be so do you want to have mass extinctions of people or do you want to work together to uh, to build your country because at the end of the day nobody trusts to be born in the families they were born in or to be born in with mm. your ethnicity or your tribe or even your uh, skin color so this is a design by God we were born we were meant to live to be born in our countries to uh support the reason that ignorance uh, comes because um we we allow it so uh, we allow ignorance because mm. we grew up in ignorant um societies so we have to make a change Yeah, yeah. And the change starts with you and me. It's not going to start with somebody else. It's not going to start with government. It's going to start with everybody taking responsibility and accountability for your sphere of influence. Absolutely. We 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 have the right to say no to the government, but in order for you to say no, you have to know who you are, to be confident in yourself, uh, having a voice that's strong enough to make a change. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Okay, so so now come to 1994 and what happens and then how do you guys then leave? So on the 7th uh, around 7 in the morning or 8 in the morning, we had uh, a lot of groups come to uh, our house for me to take out uh, my whole family and we had a group of uh, militias that came with presidential guards. So this was the most elite wow. group to kill people. It's also the most elite trained uh, part of the military because they used to guard the president. So uh, apparently mm. we were on the list of the first few people to die in the country. Uh but God did not allow it to happen. So we I think if I can remember wow. correctly there was a group of about 7 to 8 soldiers plus uh, three to four mm-hmm. militias that were telling them these are the people that you're looking for these are the people we have on the list uh so they came they mm-hmm. got distracted so be- between the time they were able to break through our gate to our house uh we had mm-hmm. spent about five minutes in prayer uh luckily mm-hmm. we had been uh, going to church my mom was saved and we knew that God if God allowed it it's going to be God's will but we had faith that we were going to leave so between that time my mm. dad was outside and uh, he jumped over the fence he hit with uh, through uh, the gate of our neighbors uh, and i think mm-hmm. one of the neighbors uh, knew my dad was there but the, the family did not know so he jumped over the fence and then they put him behind uh, doors so Uh, I think people discovered that he was there at the end of the day. Uh, I was the only person on my family side mm-hmm. who knew where he was because I was with him when the soldiers started knocking. Uh, so nobody opened. They had mm-hmm. to shoot the door and they came heavily armed. Um, so they got distracted by taking money and taking uh, uh different devices like TVs and uh they they took turns going to take stuff to their car and then by the time they finished they said okay mm-hmm. we have to go to another family let's uh, let's finish them so the person who was going to shoot us after they lined us they lined my family up from my mom myself my two sisters and then uh, I think one or two people worked at our house uh we mm. were lined on uh, towards um uh, the wall of uh, the of the back of a house so uh, the first mm. the first person who tried to shoot us he could not do it and then the next person said okay let me do it we need to go he tried he could not pull the trigger he said okay uh, let, let's go wow. someone else will do it and then one of the militias who had brought them to our house said no let me finish them off with my um, uh, with my sword so 
he came to us if i don't kill you you won't say who we are we're like no we don't know you we don't know you uh and then uh, that was it for the day god saved the day so they chose to leave uh, but they, wow. they knew and they were thinking that we would be killed by the next group and um, as soon as they left we asked our neighbors if we can go hide into their houses so me and my sister well the sister who comes after me uh we went to our neighbor who, who lived on the right side of our of a house and they my mom mm-hmm. and my younger my younger sister we, they went to the other house so we, wow. we hid there for about three days and then uh because we lived near the front of the war uh where uh, the parliament uh, the uh, rpf uh, rebels were in the in the parliament which was adjacent to our house maybe diagonally like about one to two kilometers mm-hmm. uh, so they were shooting back and forth uh, from the former government uh, uh, army bases so they were, you could see bullets flying over our house and bombs falling next to our compound or in our garage like i mean we we survived so many things wow so you said that um they that they discovered where your dad was at the end of the day so what happens when they discover him no 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 um my mom discovered where he was because i didn't oh, okay to her where uh, he was uh, for I felt like she could have been sensitive and said that uh, he's here and we could have put our neighbors in jeopardy as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they were not they were not supposed to hide uh, people who are considered to be traitors or enemies of the country. And right. to be a traitor or an enemy of the country, you had to be uh, a Tutsi. So yes. like, that was a crime being born uh, a Tutsi. Wow. And we're seeing a lot of that also. I mean and I'm coming back to you but we're seeing a lot of that also in the US currently so this is this is not something that is new in humanity but it is definitely something that we have control over as individuals as human as human beings it has always happened uh, i think uh, from the beginning of humanity uh, the devil always uh, tries to influence uh, negative changes so mm-hmm. the more we are divided the more he can conquer so uh or he, he can rule so th- even the europeans when they came to colonize africa they mm-hmm. instilled the division so i believe the history of rwanda shows us that before europeans came to colonize africa uh mm-hmm. different tribes or ethnic ethnicities lived in harmony mm-hmm. so as soon as the Europeans noticed that they cannot rule or have power if they did not divide people so they had to favor one group and dehumanize one group so this this became a an accepted standard mm. and after they had left it continued and um, one group felt like they had to dehumanize the other for them to be able to rule successfully and uh, uh, fear always uh, always came like as some as a weapon fear was the biggest weapon so yeah. people who lived in fear were not able to raise their voices they could not run for office they did not have the right to go to school uh, my dad was kicked out of school in second or third grade so wow. that was the formal education that he had he had to teach himself everything that he knows mm-hmm. uh, and the, all those things that happened before i was born influenced why i became an educational consultant and i became passionate about education i mm. decided when i was younger that i'm going to advocate for families for students that education is a right and also uh, education should be accessible to everyone yeah yeah wow wow so how do you then get out of the country uh, and to the us and how is the decision made for your dad to stay behind so we uh, i think my, we had the choice to go uh, through families that were in the us for uh, many years before mm-hmm. um, i used to have uh, especially on my mom's side my mom's uh, sisters uh, lived in the us mm-hmm. uh, so they had facilitated uh, uh, us to go there and uh, it was actually it took time for my parents to decide that you know kids can go but 
I grew up seeing my mom going there back and forth uh, since I was like one. So mm-hmm. uh, I think that was the only country that we had family to to go to. Mm, so that 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 makes it the obvious choice. Yes. Okay. And and why did your dad stay behind? You know he was working, so we did not really okay. migrate to him. The the goal for us to go to the US was for school. Mm, okay, okay. Yeah. Alrighty. So I mean you are such a focused and centered person. Uh as long as I've known you, that's that's one thing that I know about you. Uh, but I'm going to ask where does forgiveness come into your story? Do you did you lose anybody close to you and and where does forgiveness come in to your story and how does it shape your future? So if I can start with uh losing people, I've lost so many people. I've lost uh, my favorite aunt uh who was actually graduating from medical school, so she died a month before. Uh, I think she died in April 1994 and she was to be officially graduated in April no, in I think in June June 1994. Uh mm-hmm. lost all my uncles in the genocide. Uh, my grandmother and uh, friends that I grew up with have lost cousins um and up to last month I discovered one of my childhood friend who I never knew his way about was uh, killed in the genocide with his dad and I discovered that through his sister who's been my friend and she posted a picture uh, on Facebook and uh, she's like I'm remembering my brother I'm like that was my best friend when I was young I didn't know you were even related mm. and then they asked they asked me to say what did you know about my brother I described him and I asked my former classmates whom I re, uh, connected to recently and uh, those who remembered my friend who was called Eric uh told us what they remembered we sent that to we sent a message to the sister and the mom and they said that's exactly how we remember my brother and they, they were very happy that you know he was a child who was uh loving who used to be, who used to give everything he had and uh, uh the testimony in the family shared was the same as what we experienced with him in school yeah. so um yeah. It's something that you never forget, uh, but forgiving and uh, forgiving is the only way to move forward, the only way to actually have a life. Because uh, if you live with uh, the hurt and the pain, uh, it's impossible to do anything. It's impossible to even wanting to wake up. So if you forgive, if you let go of those who hurt you, without mm-hmm. forgetting those who, you, who those you loved you can never forget those you loved but you have to yeah. forgive those who committed the atrocities but even mm-hmm. if you look at from their side most of them did not know what they were doing so it's mm-hmm. it's like uh when you join a train that's moving and you do what people on the train are doing so some of the people who killed either our family members or our country uh men they they were doing it because they they grew up being told you have to kill these people these are enemies but they didn't understand why mm. people who do not look like them are their enemies mm-hmm. yeah. yeah so and, forgiveness and is a is a key to to our future to unlock our future yeah yeah and are your parents still alive my parents are still alive uh, where I are think, they today uh my, my parents they're here in Rwanda today okay Uh, that's a story that you know or at least this part of the story at least it gives us hope uh first of all just your your thoughts about forgiveness uh and this is something that I'm learning with every person I interview that forgiveness is the key it really is the key and and putting yourself in the shoes of the other person to understand that you know their mindset at the time they did what they did that that also helps you with in your journey to forgiveness i agree wow alrighty so you said that everything that that your parents or your dad went through you know being denied formal education and then you uh how you struggled also just to adjust when you moved to the US that has helped shape what you do today So let's talk a little bit about that. How did you how did you get into 
education consulting is it a big industry what how how do you move now you go to school you go to some great schools you know you went to penn state you went to ohio state and then you went to maastricht so how do you then decide this is what i want to do i mean you have a passion in your heart for education and you've seen what you know being denied an education can do but how do you then get from a passion to actualizing what you do today everything built up from the pieces and pieces that i collected when i was younger uh, especially mm-hmm. when i discovered that my dad could not read uh, i think when i was 8 he started asking me to read letters that were written to him uh, and that hurt me knowing that my friends parents can read and can do everything uh, but my dad could not my mom was able to read and she could speak french uh, she was able to finish elementary school and do part of high school but also she did not go far uh, mm. but my dad had an entrepreneurial spirit so he used the skills that he was born with or his gift to uh, to start a business so i grew up seeing my parents doing business they trained me uh, to they, they taught me how to do business uh, unintentionally since i was 7 uh, when i first started uh, school so, no it's when i started 7 uh, uh, when no, i was 7 when i went to work with my dad so mm-hmm. he, he he would take me to work every day after school i went to work so i mm-hmm. learned how to deal with people i learned how to uh, transact with people and uh, mm-hmm. it came to a point where it was second nature even during the 1994 uh, genocide i i had a small window of opportunity to start something that would change people's lives so we actually uh, i didn't tell you what happened during the genocide and how we actually survived the genocide yes but yes. but we we fled uh, our house uh, after three days well, since the first attack i mentioned to you and we went mm-hmm. in, we, were, we went into a hotel called Milkolin and i don't know if you've seen the movie hotel yes Rwanda. the hotel Milkolin yes yes so we were in Milkolin for about 3 weeks uh, we fled with our neighbors who um, uh, were able to share rooms with us there was no money so they even paid for our stay uh, mm-hmm. and then from there we went with one of our neighbors to their hometown uh, in Gitarama so uh, we were there for about a month or two months and then when the war got there uh, we were always being hidden in the houses so we did not really have a lot of free movement uh, we mm. had to actually now uh, move by foot so we walked about 100 kilometers from uh, where mm. we were uh, I think mm-hmm. it was a journey of three days and I was wow. so young I was 11 carrying a, like a heavy mattress uh, and I had grown up never walking anywhere except to yeah. school where it was like 200 meters from where I lived. So mm-hmm. uh, I got sick because of uh, carrying a big load on my head. And where we, mm-hmm. we, we were, there was a French uh, military camp. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, they ended up receiving us. And I, you know, I had so much time to my hands. I didn't have school. I would wake up uh, and then try to find something to do and I ended up negotiating the French soldiers to to work to do some work with them so mm-hmm. they end up giving be giving me my first business opportunity so I created wow. my first business when I was 11 and uh, in between uh, when I was 12 13 after the genocide I also had a small business and mm. I went and to what the was US this when business? I was so the, the first business I had was uh, um, I actually hired people to uh, to wash this the the clothes of the French soldiers. So their uniforms, their clothes, the French soldiers oh, would pay wow. me, and then I would pay pay the people that I was I would hire. And the more um, the more I got referrals, so every day I would get like three referrals. And by the time uh, we spent like three weeks there, I had over fifty employees, and uh, I was only oh, eleven. Wow. And the youngest person working for me was like 18. You are just amazing. <laughs> wow. Okay. So then your next um, business. So my next business uh, uh, was actually to sell school supplies. That, I think I was 12 or 13. 
in that time uh, I, I was 12 I was 12 so it was a year after so I uh, my parents had a store I was I created a mini store within their store until my articles were growing and I was turning over so I used to sell 100% of my inventory every day and the next time I would uh, buy double from the previous day so it was a time where I would make 100% profit a day so I would wow. re- reinvest 100% I didn't have any expenses and didn't pay bills and didn't pay rent so <laughs> right? I was just growing my business uh, and okay. my parents realized that if I don't go to school um, if this I is what you're to do, do business I will do this for the rest of my life so uh, they took me to a boarding school and I did not last three days there because uh, <laughs> uh, no, uh, the lifestyle there was not uh, conducive for me for you. so mm-hmm. yeah but I thought my parents uh, uh, you know they missed me when they came back to, to pick me up three days after but then uh, I overheard my mom telling her friend that uh, the day she dropped me off uh, she met a few people she told them where she was coming from and they were like, oh, if you took your son to that school, he's going to be a drunk. So, oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, they, so they took me to boarding school on Friday. On Monday morning at 7 a.m., I was in class before the teacher came in. I see my, my mom outside the window. I was so happy. And then she's like, okay, let's go home. <laughs> so, <laughs> that was a dream, for, a dream come true for you. It was a dream come true. Even I had finished the pocket money my parents had given me for uh, for the whole semester because I I could not eat the food at the boarding school. It was horrible. Well, it's a good thing so, you were a businessman and you had a bit of cash on you as well. I had yeah, I had some cash, so I went to restaurants outside of school. Uh, <laughs> but then I, I went back home. I was happy, and uh, that's when my parents started looking at taking me and my siblings outside Rwanda to to be able to study and prepare for a future that okay. uh, yeah that's amazing um so just based on what you've told me i mean i guess if there was one word i could use to describe you is uh, you're very resilient i'll ask you this Give me one word to describe the spirit of the people of Rwanda, because looking at where Rwanda is today, um, it's it's amazing. It's amazing. So, what one word would you use to describe the spirit of the people of Rwanda? You actually use my word. It's uh, people of Rwanda are <laughs> resilient. Uh, they are very uh, hopeful. They are patriotic, mm. uh, and this is what. Uh, helps the Rwanda get where it is right now because no one wants to see Rwanda uh, 20 something 26 years back uh, yeah. we, want, we want a better future for Rwanda so uh, yeah. it, it, you don't see anything being uh, done around ethnic lines like before so I think everyone is focused on uh, growing their families growing their businesses their practices those who are in different fields uh, government officials are very optimistic and they give uh, a lot so like you see that people the patriotism helps them do more than they should yeah 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 and how does everything you've talked about today everything you've told us about how does that influence your love for Africa not just the love for Africa I think the love for humanity uh, but okay. I'm passionate about making a difference in Africa mm-hmm. through education mm-hmm. um, and everything I do now my I, when I go back to where I grew up or like whatever I travel throughout the world I look at schools how education changed lives what, I, what can I bring back to Africa um, how can I make a difference in people's lives how can we make uh, education accessible to everyone as well as uh, uh, helping people be educated to bridge the gap and uh, eradicate ignorance and poverty. Okay, wow, that's that's wonderful. That's amazing. And how did you how did you then get into the education consulting? Like like the physical, like the actual steps 
did you, have you heard about this before how did you get into it because somebody else could maybe have come out of it same passion same interest and become a teacher so how do you get into education consulting so it, it becomes uh, everything comes from your passion for me i wanted to see how i can influence many people uh, on the global stage mm-hmm. and working uh, through individual students from country to country making connections with uh policy makers and uh meeting government leaders uh met uh, many head, heads of states mm-hmm. um and everything really for me it, it, I, i could say it came to me i did not uh create it the business of education came to me by accident mm-hmm. uh, i've always wanted to be a professor i've always wanted to start schools and um help educate as many people as possible But then uh, my access to people who are connected on the global stage has given me an opening that I, I was able to run to to learn how to uh, do so many things at the high level uh, mm. and right now we've created a platform that will be launched in ne- next year that would be uh, influencing education throughout the continent uh, of Africa as well as uh, opening so many schools and uh getting student scholarships and preparing students to get into global universities and also bringing global universities to Africa that's amazing i mean you're such a visionary you see very far ahead into the future uh and i think a lot of us tend to be short sighted we we are living from hand to mouth even from a visionary point of view where where it's like what can i get what what can i get in my hands today for today but you're looking decades centuries ahead and influencing uh, humanity by influencing the youth by giving them an education which is something you can never take away from a human being we have to actually look 20 to 50 to 50 years down the road when i'm working with designers and working on different projects i'm telling them uh, i want you to focus on 2040 2050 2070 um i want something that will be relevant in 2050 as it's relevant today so mm. we have to actually put ourselves in the minds of people who are, who are not yet born mm. uh, is this something that would prepare uh the future that we want to africa because africa is the only continent that's growing at the most rapid uh, pace and it's going to outpace the uh other countries in the next few years other yeah. continents so, and it's also the um, most youthful continent in terms of just demographic it, we have the highest population of youth we have the the average uh african is 19 right now and the more africa is growing the younger the continent is going to be uh and we have to, we we need schools for for africans to be able to have industries that will create uh, an economy like what you see in China right now or uh what you've seen in Europe decades ago as well as uh the US. So China is surpassing the US as far as economic power mm. and Africa should surpass the US and uh in China in the next uh, 50 100 years. That's amazing and with people like you I'm sure we will get there. I hope so. I hope so. How many, you know, roughly, how many students have you placed to date? So, um we we've I've personally placed over 500 students. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think right now I'm at a place uh, a place where I want to scale it so I can uh, bring many people to uh to also place another 500 so I want to be able mm-hmm. to replicate everything I've done so I've been trying to build a team and working with designers we are trying to use artificial intelligence to see how we can provide uh, solutions to a large scale uh, population already and is there any particular set of criteria you look at or you look for when placing students in terms of in the students themselves or is it just as parents approach you because i'm assuming a parent will hear about what you're doing and will approach you so most of the parents we've worked with uh, came through referrals mm-hmm. uh we've never really advertised our services to anyone mm-hmm. uh and it's a place i think now is when we are starting to see 
is what we are doing is it necessary to be exclusive because we've been providing boutique exclusive services to exclusive families mm-hmm. and uh, to be able to make uh, the change that we desire to affect we have to be able to open uh, to open it to many people so um, typically when people come to us they've kind of made a decision about uh, 90% that uh, we're going to work together and then mm-hmm. we have to do the 10% to close uh, to, to, to remove their fears or their insecurities and right. um, most so we, we are also not a, a fit for every person who comes to us there are mm-hmm. people we cannot work with mm-hmm. um, but we are able to, to provide services to a big range of uh, people and uh, uh, we have counseling services that actually help us to customize an educational plan for uh, most students so if we are able to serve them we typically uh, help them get where they need to be and uh, the students lives are changed from the time we work with them to uh, when we see them five ten or six years later whenever we reconnect with uh, students once once they're done with schools oh that's awesome and mm. I, I I'm just thinking that there's a very specific niche that this question may come up I'm pretty sure it will come up would you be able to work with uh, children with special needs I guess this, there are schools out there and there are some of the you know there are some schools that are better than others so is that something that you'd be able and willing to do that's some that's one of the things that we do uh, uh, I have a very big heart for students with special needs and uh, uh, sometimes kids never develop because they are put in the wrong schools and the wrong environment since they're young mm-hmm. so the earlier we are able to work with a student uh, we typically I try to have an, an, an internal analysis of where a student is try to discover their challenge interview their parents their schools uh, once we have this uh, uh, diagnostic that we have a picture of what, what kind of uh, challenge a student has we typically recommend families to seek a professional so they are uh, psychiatrists or psychologists or educational consultants that uh, focus on uh, helping students who have different challenges so we mm-hmm. typically team with them um, and uh, we also have uh, to recommend some families to get uh, a, a, a psychoeducational evaluation to make recommendations of what kind of supports they need and once we have those uh, things identified we're able to place students into schools that have a niche in the uh, in the challenges that students are facing that's amazing that's amazing i just and okay my last question how can people reach you let's say there's a somebody who's sitting in a place of influence where maybe their organization can sponsor a child or a parent who is saying oh my goodness this is what i've been waiting for and i didn't even know it existed um or a child who's listening you know a teenager or young adult or somebody who's you know looking to go for further education how do we reach you uh so i you can reach me uh on uh, through my website it's uh, www.igneducationalconsultants.com or uh, if you are in Kenya I have a phone number that I can give out uh, but it's easier to start with the website and once you understand what we do we can uh, connect I can also give out my email it's uh, olivier at IGN educational consultants okay so it's www.igneducationalconsultants.com or Olivier at IGNeducationalconsultants.com. Yes. Or we also have a a general business email, which is info at IGNeducationalconsultants. Sometimes they'll come to me, or if it comes to someone else that we work with, the right person responds. All right. Thank you so much, Olivier. I, I will say this. I have known you for a little while now, and I have always admired and respected you, but just having this conversation has raised my level of respect for you and Pascaline because you work with your wife for the both of you like a hundredfold. Yes, we we work together and we also uh, share mutual respect for you. We 
we admire you and we like to see what you've been able to achieve and how you are making a difference and uh, I've been enjoying listening to your podcast and I feel like this is a way to reach as many people as possible. Thank you so much. Thank you for lending your voice to my podcast. Thank you for, you know, allowing me to tell your story. You're very shy, you're very reserved. So you wouldn't have told this entire story, you know, maybe in bits and pieces. So thank you for just trusting me with your story and trusting this platform. Uh and thank you to Pascaline for, you know, lending you to me for this one hour. I know you could be having a chat with the kids. So I will let you go shortly, but I just want to say when I look at you I see resilience, I see visionary, a visionary person. I see le- legacy. I just that's the word I see. So parting shot, what is your parting shot? What is the one thing you want to say to somebody out there who's undergone a lot and maybe is not seeing the silver lining or maybe is not seeing that the darkness will end? Thank you so much Beverly for this opportunity and uh I think uh, I could not describe myself better than the way you just described me. Uh but for for those who are going through challenges right now, it's never easy to see tomorrow from uh a place of darkness. But have have trust in God, have faith in God um and also try to try to write your vision if you have a vision if you have a dream or something you want to achieve write it down meditate on it uh educate yourself prepare yourself uh when you when you are prepared doors open for you i cannot tell you that I've, i'm here because of what i've done uh people open doors for me people up to today people open doors for me and without me asking so um the the, the key is actually getting ready to achieve the goals that you want to achieve and I believe uh you know with God everything happens amen to that i could not have ended on a better note i want you to sign us off i want you to tell us your two full names so my name is and then you tell us what you survived and then you tell us that you are in my name is olivier nizaimana and i'm a survivor of the genocide of against the Tutsi that happened in 1994 in Rwanda and I am enough and you truly are enough thank you olivier god bless you and i can't wait to see the feedback that comes out of this have an amazing time uh visiting with family may your business prosper and we will see you when you're back in kenya thank you and god bless you bye bye Ladies and gentlemen, I am truly at a loss for words after speaking with Olivier. That was one of the most touching and inspiring tales, a tale of finding purpose through pain and growing beyond that pain to discover what he was truly created to do, which is impact generations, build legacy by impacting education. There's a few quotes I want to leave you with because I realized that this theme of survival is to me very much tied with the theme of forgiveness. The first one is by Mahatma Gandhi and he said that the weak can never forgive. Forgiveness is the attribute of the strong. The second one is by Marian Williamson. and she says that the practice of forgiveness is our most important contribution to the healing of the world and the third one is by an unknown author who said that to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover the prisoner was you i read this article as i was going about my research it is by a gentleman called Jim Rendon. He is the author of Upside: The New Science of Post-Traumatic Growth. This article was published on the 25th, sorry, the 22nd of July 2015 in Time magazine, and he says that growth begins with healing from trauma. It is not a free pass to avoid suffering, 
But as researchers now know, people have the capacity to do far more than just heal. Given the right environment and mindset, they can change using the trauma and the suffering and struggle that ensues as an opportunity to reflect, to search for meaning in their lives, to ultimately become better versions of themselves. I want to leave you with this parting shot, which is really a challenge. Who do you need to forgive? What do you need to let go of? What are you holding yourself back from? And what are you denying the world? by refusing to forgive. I'll let you chew on that. And I will be back next week with another inspiring tale in this Survivor series. For now, remember always that you are enough and you are loved. This is Bev Chahonyo signing out. This is Beverly Speaks, the podcast. Thank mm-hmm. you.